Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Have you been blessed by the music? Amen. We got a great worship team. We appreciate all they do to lead us to the throne of grace to uh, be together. If you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in John's Gospel, chapter 20 this morning. And it's be kind of foolish to come to Resurrection Sunday to Easter service and never mention the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what it's all about today. Uh, by the way, uh, just to let you in on a little secret, uh, Jesus is alive every day. Uh, once he rose from the grave once, he didn't need to do it again. Uh, he is forever alive. And I believe that he's for, forever alive in bodily form. That is that, you know, Jesus rose from the dead in his flesh. Amen. And so uh, he sits now at the right hand of God. And uh, the Bible says he ever makes intercession for us. I'm so glad he's alive. Because not only did he pay the price for my sin on the cross and rose from the dead to reconcile me to God, but he prays for me every day. And I'm thankful that he continues to pray for me. Amen. And I'm glad that he gave us the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, you know, intercedes for us as well. I'm thankful that he does that as well for me. And so as we celebrate this morning, I want to just sort of ask you, have you ever been told a story that just seemed to be too good to be true? You know, uh, most of those that I've ever heard centered around fishing. <laughs> Isn't that right, Hoyt? Yeah, right, you know. I caught one this big! When we went on a cruise last summer, uh, we, uh, or I guess it was back in 13, we went on our cruise, we went to the Bahamas and and uh, my daughter wanted to go scuba diving, so we went scuba diving, and, and I'm scared of death of sharks. And so we're down there under the water, and, you know, we're only probably 18, 20 feet deep. And so we're following this guide, and here comes a shark. I promise you, he was about the size of the stage. My family says he was only about four foot, but I promise you, the water magnified him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So when I tell my shark story, I'm always reminded, no, that shark was only four foot, daddy. You know, I get reminded of that. You know, so we hear stories that are too good to be true. Well, in John chapter 20, Jesus has already risen from the dead. He's already appeared to Mary. He's already appeared to two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. And, and he now has appeared to the other disciples that are in an upper room, in a locked room, by the way. The Bible says they're in a locked room because they're fearful of the Jews. I mean, after all, they just killed their leader. They just crucified him. And so they're in this room huddled up together, and all of a sudden inside this room appears the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> How amazing is that? And so Jesus shows up in the room, and there's a problem. There's a guy missing. His name is Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. I entitled my message today, I forget, what is it? Put it on the screen, no. <laughs> Calling all doubters. Because here's the reality. The reality of it is this. That at some point in your life, you have reached maybe a place of doubt. And I think that when we look at the life of Thomas, we're a little hard on him, aren't we? I mean, after all, you weren't there. 
<laughs> Amen? I mean, think about it. You weren't there. You know, many of us in our sanctimonious religion would like to say sometimes, well, I want to never abandon him. Well, that's what Peter said. And he ran away and cursed him three times. You know, we think, well, you know, I would have stood in there for Jesus. I would have defended. No, you wouldn't have. Amen? And then here Thomas says, unless I touch him, I'm not going to believe he's alive. And we read that in a sanctimonious way and say, well, I can't believe him. Jesus said he was going to come to life again. He said he promised he's going to come out of the grave. And now there's eyewitnesses that say he's come alive. How dare you doubt? Well, we're on this side of the story. We're not living it firsthand like he was. Hearing about the testimony of the risen Christ. And so when we begin to look at Thomas today, I want you to sort of listen and think about Thomas in a different aspect, a different light. Because the reality is we, we don't know a whole lot about Thomas. Did you know that? We, we have nothing in Matthew, Mark, and Luke about Thomas except for his name and that he's a twin. We don't know who his twin was, by the way, so I'm not going to be able to tell you that today. It's just anybody's guess who it was. It may not have been one of the other guys, but he had a twin. And that's all we know from those three Gospels. But John sheds a lot of light on Thomas. He really does. He helps us to understand. So let's look at the text of John 20, 24 through 29. And then I'm going to share a couple other things about about this doubter I hope will help you. So listen to the story. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. That's what we read prior to that. That's what we see in the verses right in front of this. The other disciples therefore said to him, and by the way, the way it is said in the Greek is, they kept on saying to him. They kept trying to reassure him. They kept saying, we saw him, we saw him, we saw him. And they kept trying to tell, and kept trying to tell, and kept trying to tell, to reassure him, but they didn't, he didn't believe them. He says, we have seen the Lord, verse 25. And so he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and by the way, through that, we know that Jesus was nailed to a cross because no other place does it say that he was nailed to the cross in any of the gospels save here. It's the only place that we're told that. We do know outside sources because of the history of the Romans. We know what crucifixion is like. But inside the Bible, it's the only place that says that he's nailed to the cross. He says, unless I see the print of the nails and put my finger into that print and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, the disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. And, and Jesus came and the doors being shut and they stood in the midst of them. And he said, peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Does Jesus listen to what you're saying? Oh, he does. Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, he says, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Doubting Thomas. But, but you know, when you look at John's gospel, you begin to find that, that 
Maybe Thomas is not as big of a doubter as we thought he was. As a matter of fact, you read over in John's Gospel, chapter 11, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking with his disciples, he's preaching and teaching. They come and they say, your friend Lazarus is dying. Lazarus was sick. And so they wanted Jesus to come into Bethany, and they wanted Jesus to heal Lazarus. And the Bible says that when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not unto death. <laughs> but then he, then he tarried. He waited four days before he would go to Bethany. But when Jesus said, we're going to go, you know what the disciples said? He said, no, 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 Jesus, you can't go back to Bethany. You know why? Because the last time he was in Judea, they tried to stone him. They wanted him dead. And so the disciples were like, hey, you can't go there. You know, if you go back there, surely they're going to stone you. They're going to kill you. And what does Thomas say? Thomas, we see courage. We see loyalty. We never think of Thomas this way, do we? Thomas says to him, to the rest of the guys, hey guys, let's go with him that we may die with him also. That's not a doubter. That's a man who's walking with Jesus who is loyal to his master, who I believe has a little bit of heroic courage that says, well, if we got to go with him, let's just go. And if he dies, we'll just die with him. That's all right with me. The other guys didn't say that. That's what he said. So maybe when we look at Thomas, we think about doubters, we, we may look at him with different glasses, we, we may think, well, this doubter, man, what an unbeliever. I just can't believe it. We sort of have a little disdain for him. And then we see over in John's gospel, chapter 14, Jesus is talking about that wonderful passage. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. He said, he said and I go and I prepare a place for you. And where I go, you know. And, and so Thomas, thinking about Jesus leaving, thinking about what's going on and, and thinking about this death of Jesus and Jesus talking about leaving them. He just says these words, Lord, how do we know where you're going and how can we know the way? And Jesus would say those most famous words that most of us quote. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's no way to be saved other than Jesus Christ. And so what happens? Thomas, I believe, not only does he show courage and loyalty? But now I think we see his heart. He really loves Jesus. And you know, if Jesus leaves, he's really going to miss him. And you know, the other thing about it is, he wants to make sure he gets it right. I want to be where you're at. Now, how many of y'all want to be where Jesus is at? Amen? I want to be where he's at. And so Thomas asks the question, and we see Jesus giving the answer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is how you can be where I am. And so when we think about Thomas, we think about him being this doubter, we often forget of his courage and his loyalty and his love and his desire to be with Jesus. We often forget that because here's the reality. Let's talk about his doubt this morning. When we think about doubt, and it says here that when the disciples told him in verses 24 and 25 that Jesus had come and was with them, the Bible says, he didn't believe them. As a matter of fact, in the, in the language, I told you, they kept saying to him, Thomas, come on, man. We saw Jesus. And they kept pleading with him. They kept telling him, we saw Jesus. That's the thrust of the verse. And so over and over again, they're trying to soothe him. They're trying to help him to understand Jesus is alive. What a great message, by the way. You would have thought he would believed his friends. But all he knows is that he wasn't there. But have you ever thought to yourself, why wasn't he there? You ever thought about that? 
You know, the Bible never tells us why he wasn't there. We just know that he wasn't. And it becomes a great object lesson for us. And by the way, I thought it was kind of humorous as I was studying this past week that some, of those, some preachers talked about don't ever miss church, something good's going to happen, you know. Thomas missed church and something good happened, you know, Jesus showed up. That's pretty good. You always want to be in church when Jesus shows up, amen. And so, you know, we, we could preach a sermon around that. That's, that's pretty preachable. I kind of laughed when I saw that. I thought, well, yeah, okay. That, that's, that's not really the thrust of the text, okay. The thrust of the text is that we have a doubter on our hands, we, we have a man who walked with Jesus, loved Jesus, was loyal to Jesus, and yet now he's doubting the story that Jesus is alive. But can I just tell you, when we think about his doubt, he is not, listen, he is not in bad company. Because, you know, we forget that he wasn't the only one. As a matter of fact, the women come back, and they're excited Jesus is alive. They've seen visions of angels. The road to Emmaus, these guys saw Jesus, and they come back and they give a report, and they're excited. And yes, even Peter and John ran to the tomb, and they, they wondered about these things. But you know what the Bible says when they reported that Jesus wasn't there, that he had risen from the dead, and that they had seen him? You know what the Bible says about them? They did not believe them. Do you know when they believed? John chapter 20 Read the verses right before this in verse 20 and following. It says that when they're in that upper room, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up in the room and then it says, then they believed. But yet we call him Doubting Thomas. Isn't that kind of crazy? You know who else was a doubter? Jesus said he's one of the greatest men that ever lived. His name is John the Baptist. We're told that from the moment that he's in the womb, he heard the voice of Mary coming in at six months. The Holy Spirit was in with him and he leaped in the womb. Greatest man, Jesus said, had ever lived. Said when Jesus walked by him, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's locked up in prison and he sends his disciples. Are you the Christ or should we look for another? He's in good company, David. Amen. And I bet you here today, you're saying, you know, I've had some doubts. And you felt sheepish and you felt dumb and you, you felt like you were less of a Christian. Can I just tell you, there's times in our lives as believers, you may have a doubt. But you know why we, we downplay it so bad is because we misunderstand the difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is that place in life by which you, you know some facts, you know some truth, you've been told some truth, you even accepted some truth, but you're wrestling with it. You're trying to settle in on it. Unbelief, on the other hand, is a person who says, I will not believe that he's alive. Thomas said, I can't buy the story until I see him. But you know what Thomas did? He stayed faithful. He stayed true. He didn't leave the crowd. He didn't run away from the story. He said, I'm just going to hang out and I'm going to see what's going to happen. A person of unbelief would have said, like Judas. Judas, we thought, you know, well, he looked good at the beginning, but all along he's been a thief. And he goes out and he denies the Lord Jesus Christ in total unbelief. Don't think for a minute because he said he was sorry that he really was sorry in the sense of repentance towards salvation. He was never saved. He was in unbelief. He never 
would accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the King, the Savior of the world. So Thomas is doubting, but faith and doubt are not the opposites of each other. Faith and unbelief are. And so if you're here this morning, you're saying, you know, I'm dealing with some doubt. Can I tell you, you're in a very good place with other men and women who've gone before you. Thomas, John the Baptist, the other disciples, we forget all this. So are you struggling with doubt today? I have some good news for you. See, because the reality is, listen, why do we struggle with doubt? Because we walk by faith. And then in the text, notice that it says that Thomas, the Bible says he was not with them. He said, now Thomas called the twin. One of the 12 was not with them. When Jesus came, the other disciples therefore told him, he said, we've seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see his hands in the print, the nails, touch my finger there. And he said, put my hand in this side, I will not believe. And then there's Thomas's weight. Can I tell you that when you are a doubter, when you have doubt in your life, waiting is not what you want to do. Waiting is not a comfortable place. But the Bible tells us, listen, the Bible tells us after eight days, they're gathered again in this upper room. And we see his doubt, or we see his, his waiting period. Eight days, that's a long time. When you're in doubt, that's a long time. Have you ever been in doubt? You want to know the answer to something? You know, the doctor does an exam, they find something and say, well, we're going to have to test this. It'll be back next week. Next week seems like an eternity. It's like leaving off the circle in Enterprise on the 167 going to Troy. That 32 miles seems like 3 million miles. <laughs> amen? Can I get an amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Especially when you're going back to Huntsville or someplace, right? It's the longest part of the trip there and home is 167. But that's doubt. Doubt is that way. When you have doubt in your mind, when you have doubt in your heart, you want answers. And you begin to pray and you begin to seek answers. Lord, will you please do something in my life? And it may not be doubt about the resurrection. It may not be doubt about your salvation. But maybe it's about doubt. Is God going to care for you? Does God really love you as much as he says he has? If he does, then why am I sick? Why is my family broken? Why am I going through a, a job I can't stand? Or why have I been fired from my job? God, I don't understand. And we begin to doubt his goodness. We begin to doubt his presence with us. And poor Thomas, <laughs> for eight days, is in doubt. We're not told anything else. Just it's been eight days. But you know what I've discovered in my life? I've discovered in my life, Brother Tim, that when I'm in a period of doubt, when I'm in a period of struggle, it may not be, again, about my salvation. It's never really been about that. I've never really struggled there. I've been pretty confident in that in my life. But that's my resting place. I've been very confident in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I've been very confident about a lot of the stuff that I've ever preached. I, I'm just pretty confident about it. But there's been some times where I've been through some sickness. There's been some time I can remember when I fell back in 2006. And I was laid up in a bed. And I could not walk for four and a half months. I said, God, how can this be good? And I had some doubt, some real doubt, brother Ed. And it was through the time in my life when I doubted that God was doing something in that crucible of doubt to fashion me more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. 
that he allowed me to go through that period of time. Because you know why? When you're in doubt, you're seeking answers. Think about that. When you're in doubt, you're seeking answers. When you're in doubt, you're, you're more willing to open up the Bible and look at it. You're more willing to listen to a sermon. You're more willing to listen to a Christian friend who has advice for you. God just does something in that crucible. We don't like it. We don't like when life is not right. When we don't feel comfortable. We don't like it. God uses it for your good. Are you a doubter this morning? Do you doubt? Maybe you're here and you say, you know, I don't, I don't really, I'm like Thomas. You know, unless I see him and can touch him, I, I'm not going to believe that resurrection thing. Well, we'll talk about that towards the end of the sermon. I'm here to tell you, you ought to believe it because it's a reality. And I'm going to tell you how you can really know that here in a few minutes. But maybe you're going through a doubt in your life. You say, you know, I'm doubting because I'm in a sickness. I'm in a broken marriage. I'm in, you know, my kids are going to ride. My kids are not living for Jesus. Maybe you're in that place. Let me tell you something. Those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength. Amen. So we looked at Thomas, his doubt. He's not alone. And maybe it's not as much doubt as we think. Because what we do is we, we've counted his doubt as unbelief. It wasn't that he didn't believe. It wasn't that he didn't believe that Jesus was who he says he was. He's just wrestling over this resurrection thing. And then we saw the fact that he's waiting. Nobody likes to wait. But here's the end of the story. Here's the good part. The good part of the story is, look at verse 26. And that is that we see his faith. Notice how his faith is strained. He says, and after eight days, verse 26, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came and, being, and the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said to them, peace to you. Maybe that's what we just need to hear this morning. Peace to you. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving. Now, his unbelief, the word being used there is not the word for an unbeliever. It is not the word that's used for those who reject God. It is not the word being used that those who resist him and want nothing to do with him. It is not that unbelief that we're talking about in Romans chapter 1 where the wrath of God is released against all unbelieving people. That's not the word being used there. It is that same word when we go back to the fact that he doubted. Don't doubt. Be believing. It's the same word that poor Peter, when he goes out onto the water and he's walking on the water, what does Peter do? He begins to doubt. I mean, can you imagine you're walking on water and you begin to look around and see the waves and they're boisterous and you begin to go, whoa, 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 whoa. This ain't, this ain't, I shouldn't be doing this. And he began to doubt. And Jesus questioned him, why did you doubt? Why were you unbelieving? Why did you doubt? And he says to him, put your finger here. And he stopped being unbelieving. Verse 28, and Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. What a declaration that he has. We see his faith. Listen, when he says, my Lord, listen, he gave in to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. But equally true, he knew that not only Jesus was the Messiah, but that he was God. He says, my Lord, my Messiah. And my God. You know, that is the most definitive declaration in the New Testament about the lordship and deity of Jesus Christ. Made by who we call a doubter. Think about that. His faith was stringed. Now, 
Now, we got to give a little bit of credit to calling my doubting Thomas, because what does Jesus say right behind that? You only believe because you saw. But blessed are all those who never see, yet believe. After all, everybody that saw Jesus in the Bible, no doubt they gave credence and credibility to the resurrection. Paul would write a whole chapter about it in 1 Corinthians 15. And he'd say, you know, at one point in there, he would say, you know, Jesus was seen by over 500 brethren at one time. You know, 500 people don't hallucinate, okay? Unless they're at Woodstock, all right? So five, five, some of y'all got that, all right, good. Now, 500 people at one time saw Jesus, amen? And then Peter says, and then me, as one born out of due time, as an apostle that I really shouldn't be one, but I am one, thank God, I saw him. He lays eyes on So, So we... We understand that all those in the Bible saw him. And Thomas is no different. When he saw him, he believed. But then Jesus says, and here's where I want to sort of camp on this doubt thing today. Because Jesus says, you believe because you saw me. But blessed are those, that's a beatitude by the way. Blessed are those who have not seen but believe. When you think about that for this morning, I want to ask you an important question. How is it? that we who have not seen Jesus can be believing without doubting? Or if we move into a period of doubt, how is it that we can keep the faith? Because the Bible's replete about it's those who come to the end, right? It's those who's, who are persevering to the end. That is, when you become a Christian, you, you persevere to the end, right? That How is it that we can do that? Well, first of all, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe that is the way we do it in relationship with Jesus Christ. But when you move into a period of doubt, what do you do? Can I tell you the first thing, and this is the point, I believe this is the point of the text. The text wasn't just to declare that Jesus is alive, and he is. That wasn't all that John was doing. John has a very distinct purpose to include this doubting Thomas story in the narrative of the text. Obviously, the Holy Spirit led him to do it, but what is the purpose? I find the purpose right behind those verses in verse 30 and 31. Notice how we deal with doubt. Notice what we do in the text. John writes, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So Jesus did a whole lot of stuff. That all the books of the world couldn't contain everything that Jesus did. We, we think that he just, you know, did a little miracle here, a little bit. Listen, Jesus had a very high-paced life for three and a half years. And John says that when you and I enter into doubt, what we need to understand is verse 31. But he says, but these things are written that you may believe. That Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. John includes this story to help us to understand. First of all, salvation is strictly, purely by faith. That is, there's nothing that you can do to be saved. You can't join a church. You cannot do religious works. You can't give all your money to the poor. You can't help old ladies across the street. There is nothing you can do that is good enough to earn salvation, period. There's only one way. It's through the Word of God. As Christ is revealed to you through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in your heart by which He convicts you and then converts you. 
And by faith, you become a child of God, period. There's no other way that anyone in this room could be saved but by Jesus Christ. He indeed, as he said, is the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but by him. There's no other way. But as I broaden that, I begin to broaden that in my life. And I begin to think, you know, when there's times in my life when I begin to have some doubts, where do I go? First of all, I go to the Word. I open the Bible. Why is it that we negate reading the Bible? We should be in the Bible. Why? Because it's in the Bible. As we read the Bible, we find strength for the answers that we have. Now, there's sometimes you read the Bible and go, oh, whoa, whoa, I got a question. I got a question here. And maybe a doubt will arise by something you've read. Then the second thing you do, so you start with the Bible when you're a doubter. Start with the Word. The second thing you do, you start asking God questions. You say, whoa, is that right? Can I do that? Well, read the Bible. You'll find out there's a lot of people in the Bible that say, God, what are you doing? Right? May not have been that particular question, but God, what are you doing? You know, I I think of Abraham having a conversation with God about Sodom and Gomorrah, you know. Uh, There's a great conversation. God, you know, are you sure you're going to destroy the the righteous with the wicked? Are you going to do that, Father? Are you really going to do that? And they get into this dialogue, you know. And it's not God changing his mind, by the way. It's God in his sovereign way helping Abraham to to see that there's not as many righteous people as you think there are living down there. Amen? I mean, you think there's more righteous people than you. you, No, there's not. All right? We, We find Moses having great conversations with God about the people of Israel. You know, at one point he'd say, God, you know, these are not really my people, they're your people. You know, every time they did something wrong, you ever notice in the Bible? Every time they did something wrong, God said, get your people in line. You know, and Moses kept trying to say to God, God, they're not mine, they're yours. You know, and at one time he even got so frustrated, he said, God, just kill me. If I got to leave these people, just kill me. You know, just, just finish me off. <laughs> so I go to the Bible, but then I begin to ask God, God, I just want to ask you. You know what the Bible tells me? Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. When you seek me, you find me. Especially when you seek me with your whole heart. God is not intimidated by your questions. But he sure does have the answers. Amen? He sure has the answers. Third, what do I do? I just live by faith. You say, oh, that's so simplistic. But isn't that what the Hebrew writer says? Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, listen to what it says. Now faith is the substance of things, what? Hope for. Hope for the evidence of things, what? Not seen. Not seen. He says, for by it, the elders obtain a good testimony by faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made with the things visible. Listen, when I think about faith, am I going to believe God and what God's told me in his word or am I going to believe the world out there? That's what it comes down to. Or am I going to believe me in my own doubts? When I begin to doubt, why do, why do I want to listen to myself? I'm not smart enough to listen to myself. Amen? God is smart enough for me to listen to. He knows all things. You know, and he talks specifically about creation, right? When we read the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2, and we read that account, we either as Christians have to by faith say, you know what, God did it in six literal days and rested on the seventh, or he didn't. And then people play all these gymnastics. I took, I took a survey this week. Somebody was surveying pastors. Do you believe in creation? Yes, I do. And then the questions came down to, well, do you believe in creation? So did God do it in six literal days, rest on the seventh? Or did God use 
theistic evolution, which means that God used evolution, but he was in control of it. Do you believe in that? Uh, absolutely not. Do, do you believe in evolution? Well, absolutely not. Do I believe in a big bang? No, I absolutely do not. Why is that? Because I'm smarter than scientists? Well, in this degree, I probably am. But the reality is, I believe God. God said he did it in six literal days. There is no way that you can reinterpret Genesis 1 and 2 to mean billions and billions of years. There's no way. It's impossible. If you look at the grammar of the Hebrew, it is impossible to do that. It is consistently all throughout day, 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 day. And when you throw a numeral in front of it, you have pretty specific days. Day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6, day 7. That's pretty literal to me. So when I have doubts, I go to the Word. When I have doubts, I have a conversation with God in prayer. God, I'm doubting. I'm struggling. Will you help my unbelief? But listen, there's some things I may never know till I die and get to heaven. You know, we did a study here a few weeks back, a few months back on heaven. And we talked about a lot of different stuff. We're going to be in heaven, not be in heaven, whatever. I'm here to tell you, we don't know. What I know is what I read in the Bible. It's all I know about heaven. That's just the bold truth. You know, I, I don't know about that. There, there's some things I don't know about. I don't know where Thomas was before when all the disciples were gathered together. I don't know where that. I won't even ask him in heaven. It's not going to matter. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to ask God. You know, we have this list. You have, you have a list? I have a list in my office in my drawer. I can pull out these are the questions I'm going to ask God when I get there. <laughs> there there's no need. You, you're going to know all things. You, 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 won't, you won't need to ask. And then lastly, let me give you the testimony that's, I think, a lot um, a lot of people overlook, but it's very tangible. And that is the, the, the life of people that have been changed. Let me tell you, when God takes a man who's a drunkard and sobers him up with the gospel and he gets saved and God begins to change his life and he begins to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes a soul winner. He becomes a, a faithful church member. He, he, his life is just converted and he begins to bear fruit for the gospel. Let me tell you something. That in itself is evidence that God is doing something. You know, last week, where you at, Mr. Owen? You in here? Put your hand up, buddy. Where you at, Mr. Owen? He's here somewhere. I can't see him. Mr. Owen, 87 years old, got saved. That man walked in church today just beaming for the gospel. Man, just excited about what God is doing in his life. You know what? That's the change. Amen? That's how we know. So let me call my doubters today. Will you come? Will you come? Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.